Today, we're going to talk about starting a new hobby and buying all of the related accessories for said new hobby without even knowing if you like the hobby first, how to let go of sentimental items, where to donate old trophies. Great question. What do you do when it seems like a family member is sabotaging your progress? That is all coming up on today's episode of Ask a Clutter Boss. I hope everyone is having a beautiful Tuesday. I'm going to go ahead and read our first question. It's a long question, but it's very interesting. And I think a lot of us, including me, can totally relate to this. So several years ago, we got a little bit of money. Uh, Hubby and I put part of it on bills, but took a little bit each to spend on ourselves. I decided I was going to start crocheting. And you know how this ends up. I have a closet full of yarn, books, hooks, and accessories for a few years, and I have made nothing. Uh, Let's see. I'm having a lot of shame around this one, even though I have an easy way to let it go. It's like the yarn symbolizes that I am an irresponsible with money and to blame for every money problem we've ever had. I am grateful to have a significant other who does not share in beating me up. That is so incredible. Um, Really, (laughs) it's a big win in the decluttering world. It's like this yarn symbolizes that I'm irresponsible with money. When I tell him that I feel ashamed, he reassures me that I shouldn't and that the money I spent was uh, was for me to buy something fun. The dreaming of product projects and looking at the supplies and books and buying them and having them come in was fun, I guess. Yes, yes, yes. Your husband should be a clutter coach. Uh, I hope maybe I can take this as a lesson not to do this type of thing again, but whenever I get a little bit of money to spend, I pick a new hobby or a specific topic and I binge collect around it. I must have all the related things. This will assure my success, maybe. Any ideas of why brains do this and advice on how to change this mindset? This is such a great question. I am definitely also the type of person who buys a lot of things for hobbies. (laughs) I joke around, I, you know, I'm a backpacker, so I like to go backpacking. I have, and I'm, I sleep in hammocks, which is like such a niche. Like I like backpacking. Lots of people do that. But then I also am obsessed with hammock camping. And I will talk endlessly about hammock camping. I will research hammock camping. I will know the exact weight of my hammocks and my over quilts and under quilts. I totally get collecting all of the things for your hobby. I think there's a number of reasons why our brain does this. And I really believe that your husband totally nailed this when he said, you know, you did you, the money is for something fun and you spent it on something fun. For many of us, the fun part is actually the research, the shopping, the gadgets, it's not actually the activity. And I think when we can start to realize that about ourselves, that we enjoy the experience of going into a rabbit hole and getting all of the information and all of the things. So that way, when we start, we are totally set for success, but then we never actually start. It's because we enjoyed this one part of it and taking that, knowing that about yourself is huge because as you move forward, you can number one, say, it's okay if I spend money on stuff that I may or may 
not have the outcome I'm looking for. Like we're so outcome driven in our society. We only care about how things end up in the end. So if we take up crocheting, what's the end product? But for most crafters, I would say the enjoyment is in the actual experience, not the end product. And the experience includes shopping for and looking for those great materials. And that is okay. In life, we always have these little lessons. We're getting feedback and information about our personalities as we grow and as we change. And the older we get, the more joy we should have from the perspective we have attained from our past decades, right? We learn so much about ourselves as we grow, and we should not look at this learning as a negative or shameful thing. Because without these experiences, we would never be able to improve in certain areas. We should just look at this as life's lessons. I can tell you that for many years, I did not, in my mind, use my college degree. So I went to college. I have a bachelor's degree, a master's degree, spent a lot of money on this education and did not fully utilize my education. When I think about, because I'm in a different field now, (laughs) right? When I think about the little lessons that I've learned from overbuying for a hobby or buying a shirt that's not the right color for me or doesn't fit exactly or getting three of something when I really only needed one and I'm never going to use three, these are just little lessons. And I'm grateful they didn't cost me as much as that giant education because that was a big lesson to learn. That was an expensive lesson to learn that I could get all this education and then I may not use it for an actual career. Now, of course, nobody can ever take your education away from you, right? And nobody can ever take the lessons that you're learning in life away from you. Instead of feeling ashamed about what you've done in the past, why not embrace the lesson and try to improve next time? I think this is another area where we get stuck a lot. We feel like, okay, I learned this lesson. Next time I'm going to do it completely differently. But there's probably a deeper layer to that lesson that you have to learn if things don't change 180 degrees the next time that you do it. Nobody expects perfection. That's not perfection is except for we put our own perfectionist tendencies on us. But perfection is not even a real thing. You cannot be perfect. That doesn't exist. Perfection does not exist. So when we're really seeking these end results and these perfect results, we're just already in the beginning setting ourselves up for failure. So journal on what happened. I think that that is always an important part of this process. Write down your experience. Maybe in a month or two, go back and read it again. And the next time that you come into a little bit of money, just give yourself some breathing space before spending it. Maybe go back and look at those journal entries. Think a little bit more about what you want to do differently this time. Think a little bit more about what you want to do differently this time and make an improved choice, but don't expect to change everything completely overnight. That's going to be one of our takeaways from today's show. Make an improved choice, make an improved choice. And then after that, make another improved choice and continue to improve until 
there's something else entirely that you need to start working on. Improvement instead of perfection. Yes, I love that in the comments. Kathy, I see that you're new here. Welcome to this episode of Ask a Clutter Boss. So if you have any questions, pop them into the comments. Um, and Linda, I'm glad to see that that was exactly what you needed to hear. Uh, we're talking more about stuff and memories in this episode. So stick around. Karen, hello, hello. <laughs> if you're joining us live, please say hi in the comments. Our next question, uh, changing direction here a little bit. Is there a recommended order for decluttering different areas of the home? I started with the Marie Kondo method on my clothing. I took everything out of my closet and it stayed on my bed for an obscenely long time. <laughs> It was really difficult for me to start with my clothing. Okay, so here is the Clutter Boss recommended order of decluttering your house. We want to start anywhere that is easy for you, easy, emotionally easy. And if you can start with big items, that can be really helpful too. So emotionally easy large items would be the ideal starting point. If you can't get large items out, then anything emotionally easy. I think the easiest thing to declutter in the beginning is trash, just trash. Anything with an expiration date on it, trash, expired items, garbage, get it out of your house. Uh, so often we go into our junk drawer or our closets or wherever we're trying to declutter and we realize that we've been storing an awful lot of trash. Usually we don't have an emotional attachment to trash. Um, we may feel a little bad about throwing trash out, which we cover extensively in many episodes of Ask the Clutter Boss. But the place to start is with emotionally easy stuff. Decluttering is really uh, an exercise in getting confident in your decision-making skills. So the more that you can practice making a decision and being confident that it's okay, whatever happens, it's okay. The more you can strengthen your decluttering muscles, the easier it becomes moving to more emotionally difficult items. Um, I also really think it's important that if you can get large items out in the beginning, it's going to help you a lot. So if you have a broken couch, a broken treadmill, uh, you know, some large items that are just taking up a lot of space, even a giant box, uh, I mean, anything that's big, old quilts, um, linens, things that take up a lot of space, can give you room for decluttering in the future. And a lot of our struggle with decluttering is when we take everything out in an effort to put like items together, we create a tremendous amount of temporary chaos. Now, temporary chaos is temporary, but it feels terrible. It feels like it's worse than it started. And you will have much less temporary chaos if you have more space for sorting and putting things away. So if you can remove big items first and even set up a table for sorting or get stuff out of a closet that has a lot of storage so that you can then use that for storage of things you're actually keeping, even if it's not where they're gonna live ultimately, if you can create an area to deal with your temporary chaos where it doesn't feel so chaotic, you're gonna give yourself a big advantage in this whole decluttering game. So. Uh, start with emotionally easy, start with physically large if you can. Um, and if you can't, that's okay too. But emotionally easy, there is no correct order for decluttering, except do not start with memorabilia or anything that feels like you're attached to it. 
if you're somebody who loves clothing, clothing is not where you should be starting with your decluttering. Um, if you want to get a lot of items out, paper is a good spot, although it doesn't make that much of an impact because sheets of paper are so small. But you could theoretically get a thousand sheets of paper out and feel like, okay, I've decluttered a thousand sheets of paper. I can go on to something else now. Um, so just, you know, keep pushing yourself to find those emotionally easy collections. And if you open up a, a space like a closet or um, a room and it feels overwhelming because there's so much stuff in there, like the guest room, the home office, the, you know, garage, big storage areas, start going through that stuff because most likely you're going to find a lot of things that are just garbage in there and you can easily let them go. Yes. Thank you, Facebook user, for putting the notes into the comments. That's so, so helpful. So, so, so helpful. Uh, Sandra, welcome to the show. Alex, hello. It's nice to see you here today. Diane, it is a beautiful day here in upstate New York also, and I believe it must be where you are also. So yeah, enjoying the nice day. Thank you guys for tuning in to our Ask a Clutter Boss episode. We are moving on to our third question. How can I motivate myself to start and finish the decluttering process? All right. If you've been here for a while, you know that I believe motivation is fickle. We cannot rely on motivation for anything. If we have motivation, yes, run with it. If you are so motivated to declutter, take a couple of you know hours off of work and declutter, right? Use that motivation to your advantage. If you don't have motivation, don't think of that as a reason to not start just do something when we don't have motivation we need to rely instead on action take action take any action take action for five minutes action brings back motivation so if you are lacking motivation take action and taking action is like calling motivation home when you take action you feel motivated to take more action so the thing that is the motivation and action killer is doing nothing. <laughs> Even if you feel like you don't have a lot of time for this and you don't have a lot of motivation for it, find five minutes. You can find five minutes and make progress in five minutes. 100%. I mean, think about how much we can scroll on our phone in five minutes. Imagine if you could scroll that much through your house in five minutes and get stuff out. Five minutes, take action. Take action to get motivated. Just start. Tammy, nice to see you here. Just start. There is a strategy that we use where you count backwards three. Like if you don't want to do something, you're like, okay, I'm going to give myself three seconds to do nothing. Three, two, one, opposite action, do something. Um, and if you tell yourself that you're good at doing nothing, I think that that's a dangerous mindset to get into. So that's a comment here. Um, you're actually so when you say I'm good at doing nothing, it's almost like you're saying I'm lazy. There is nobody who we work with who is actually lazy. Probably more likely you're really overwhelmed and being overwhelmed is okay. Um, there is nothing shameful about feeling overwhelmed. It just means you haven't found the right strategy to move forward yet. But the fact that you're showing up, tuning into shows like this, um, getting more information, trying to figure out how to move forward, that is doing a lot. That is not doing nothing. That is doing a lot. When we start decluttering, we need to have our mindset 
end our actions in alignment. So if we feel like we want to do something, but we're so overwhelmed that we don't, we can't get started, our mindset and our actions are out of alignment. And we have to sometimes really learn and understand why we have clutter, why it's so difficult to tackle before we can start moving forward. Other people can start moving forward by doing the physical work first. And it kind of, then they have to catch up with the mindset work. And some people do it together. Um, but sitting and doing nothing usually means that you are in a state of complete overwhelm. Your nervous system is maxed out and you just don't know where to start, which makes sense because we were never taught how to declutter or, or, or organize as children. Um, so because we were never taught how to declutter or organize as children, we have no skills or tools to start moving forward. This is all really a new skill that we've had to learn um, in the last maybe like 30 to 50 years. Prior to this, it didn't matter if we didn't know how to declutter or organize because we just didn't have that much stuff. I was talking to a client yesterday who shared with me that she has an old armoire in her room. And in the back of the armoire, there were nine hooks. Because back in the day, that's how much clothing people had. If you only have nine pieces of clothing, you don't need to declutter or organize. This is a skill that we have never needed as a human race ever until very, very recently. We were not taught how to do this. We have no skill set for it. It is not your fault that you have clutter. And the fact that you are here and you are showing up means that you are doing a lot. You are doing a lot to figure it out. So give yourself a huge amount of credit for that. Um, Kathy, it is really overwhelming. Take a deep breath. There's one strategy that I like called touch and tackle. Take a deep breath. Touch the first thing, put your hand down, touch something, and just decide what am I going to do with this? What am I going to do with my eye, your air pod case? I'm going to keep this because I use it all the time. It's a keep. Put this in the keep. That's it. Move on to the next thing. What am I going to do with this? Actually, here behind the scenes, hiding behind my computer is something that I need to return to Dick's Sporting Goods store. So, touch and tackle, touch this, decide I'm going to return it figure out how that's going to happen, get it into my car, get it out of my car and returned within 24 hours. That's how we start moving forward. One little tiny decision at a time. Um, and in the comments, it is overwhelming and it is hard to get going. I am trying to do a little each day. I am a work in progress. Yes, we are all a work in progress. That's right. It's so beautiful to be a work in progress. <laughs> put it in my purse. Karen, I don't carry a purse that is big enough to hold this, <laughs> but I am going to get it returned. It's been driving me crazy for uh, about two months now. And um, I'm making a public commitment on this call to take care of this. I also want to say that sometimes making a public commitment can be really, really helpful when you're lacking motivation. So if you want to do something, but you're afraid that you're not going to do it, tell somebody, tell somebody who you feel accountable to and who is not going to shame you. So it may not be a family member. Even if you post it into our free Facebook group, it's all clutter. Just any, it's, I am certain that most of the stuff that I post on my social media, my personal social media, nobody really cares about. I mean, it's nice, see, flip, whatever, scroll by. I post it because I need the accountability of it. It is not actually for anyone else, but for me, I feel like 
posting it makes me feel publicly accountable. I need external motivation. I need accountability from other people, not from myself. I know that about myself. And that's how I use my social media is really for my own personal accountability. Um, and you can do that too. So post into our free It's All Clutter group, or if you're in one of our actual programs, post into the programs. If you're in Clutter Boss Academy, we have an accountability coach who can help you track all your progress every single day. Um, so yeah, so you know, use the tools that you have available. Okay, and let's see, I have a bag or bench at the front of my house for returns and to mail anything that needs to leave the house. That is a really good idea. I also have um, a returns spot in my garage, mostly for um, dishware and stuff that people leave at my house. I need to return to them. Uh, but I another thing that I've been doing, which maybe this might help somebody, but I've noticed that it's much more difficult to return items online than it used to be. It's just it used to be pretty simple. And for whatever reason, in my experience anyway, it's gotten way more complicated to make returns. Mostly because I think I used to just leave them out for the UPS guy. He would pick them up. And now I can't return stuff to the Amazon drivers. I have to take it to Staples or whatever. Some, It's just complicated. It's actually realizing how much that I had to return was piling up because there were so many steps involved has really made me rethink a lot of my online shop shopping habits because I don't want to deal with returns. So basically I will only buy something now if I'm okay donating it and it, like not using it and donating it, which there's not a lot of things that I want to lose money on. So um, yeah, so just, you know, you can change your behavior. If things become, if something used to be simple and now it's not, and you need to change the way you do things, that's okay. This is just, you know, we're all works in progress. Life is always changing and adjusting and changing along with it is so much a part of this decluttering journey. Anne, welcome. And Laura, nice to see you here also. Um, so Laura says, I report here and with my brother and that helps me. The encouragement here coupled with his snarky comments keep me going. And if those snarky comments keep you going, then by all means, find the person who keeps you going, right? Um, plus taking before and after pictures helps with motivation 100%. If you're feeling like you haven't done anything or accomplished anything, it's really good to go back and look at your beginning pictures, your before pictures, which you never have to share with anyone, but you will see a difference. And a lot of times we just get so used to our landscape that even if we make some significant changes, we don't necessarily see the difference after a few weeks. We forget how it was before. So before pictures can be so, so, so helpful. Um, uh, some more tips in the comments here. I have a shredder at the front. I always open my mail every day and then I stopped getting overwhelmed. Yes, mail that comes in every day should be opened and processed every day. I think we also have this idea where we, you know, we let things pile up. We're like, I'll do that when there's more to deal with. So I'll tackle the mail when I have more time and I can go through more of it. I'll do the laundry once a week when I have more time and I can tackle all the laundry or once a month. The problem with that is if you miss that window to tackle it where it's still manageable, it becomes very unmanageable and overwhelming. So I am of the mindset that we should be, if something is happening on a daily basis, we should be also tackling it on a daily basis. If we're wearing clothing every day, we should be doing laundry every day. If we have access to laundry facilities, obviously. Dishes, the same thing. We're doing dishes 
we're eating every day, we should be doing dishes every day. Mail is coming in every day, process your mail every day. Um, this is just, you know, the mindset that we can put it off and it'll be easier to do it all at once, I think usually is not true. Um, make appointments with yourself to do things like returns. That's a great piece of advice, Linda. Thank you so much for that. Definitely. Making appointments with yourself and sticking to them is huge. Um, doing returns and stuff like that, it helps if you can stack your habits or, if you're, or stack your um, chores or errands. So if you're going out already and you know that you're going to be going near where a store, like a donation center is or a return center is, stack those habits, do them together. And yes, same experience with Amazon online. Too many steps and I'm buying less. Yep. All right. So let's see. We are still only in the middle of our Ask a Clutter Boss. Kind of long episode today, but that's okay. Uh, let's see. Um, do, 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 do. How do I let go of sentimental items? I have a box full of letters from my late dad written in my birth language that no one in my family would be able to read. I would like to start a Swedish death cleaning, but I would feel bad to throw the letters out. Okay, so Swedish death cleaning is uh, a method of decluttering. There's a book called Swedish Death Cleaning, where you just basically think about what's going to happen to your possessions after you die. So kind of a, you know, will anyone care about this after I'm dead? Um, I don't think with sentimental items or memorabilia that there is ever any reason that you have to get rid of them. If those letters from your dad are important to you, you should keep them. There is no one who can tell you what is sentimental to you and what you should or should not keep. Only you can make that decision. That's why yesterday on Monday Morning Motivation, we talked about being brutally honest with yourself. Uh, only you can make that decision. Only you know how much space you have. Only you know what is truly important to you. And if you're being very honest with yourself, you can say, this is important, or this is less important, or this is not important. Um, just because something should be sentimental doesn't mean that it is sentimental to you either. So if it's the case that you have these letters, nobody's going to read them, and nobody's going to want them, and they don't matter that much to you, just because they should be a sentimental item doesn't mean that they are. Right. So you decide what is truly sentimental to you. Don't let societal norms or other people in your life tell you what is or is not sentimental. And if you decide something is sentimental, even if you can't read it or use it, but you love it for whatever reason, then by all means, you prioritize keeping that thing. And if you choose to keep something because it's so important to you that you want to keep it, make sure that you honor that item with good, solid storage. letters that sort of stuff, put it into an archival acid-free folder, make sure that it's in a spot that's not going to be uh, an area where rodents can get into it, where it could be part of a flood in your house, um, where it could be destroyed by UV light from the sun. So if you choose to keep something, choose to also honor it with good storage, uh, but only you decide what is sentimental and what is not. Hello, Facebook user. <laughs> Um, okay. And let's see. We have two more questions. I am looking for somewhere to donate old trophies. Can they be recycled? Thank you for this question. I have not answered this live before. 
As far as I know, well, you can call number one, whenever you have something that you want to recycle, it can help to go back to the source location. For example, if you have hangers from the dry cleaners, call the dry cleaners and ask them if they take them back. A lot of times they do. If you have glasses from a glasses store, call the glasses store and see if they have a recycling program. If you have vases from a florist, call the florist and see if they'll take them back. A lot of times they do. With trophies, try calling your local trophy stores, awards stores is what they're normally called, and ask if they will take them back or recycle them. Now, locally, I have not found any place locally that actually takes back trophies. But in a quick Google search, I did find that there is a location in, I want to say it's in Minnesota, maybe, middle of the country, north-ish, <laughs> um, that does actually have a trophy recycling service, and it is a 501c3. It costs $40 to send back a trophy, or up to 25 trophies. So there's a cost, a fee to it, because recycling isn't free, even though I know <laughs> we think of recycling as free, because that's a whole other conversation. No recycling is free. So uh, at this trophy store, they actually have to process your materials with physical labor to make them reusable. Um, they donate trophies to other not-for-profits after they're sent to them. Um, and it is, hold on, let me get you the URL here, awardsmall.com. Awardsmall.com is where you can go to donate old trophies. And the first time that I read that as a URL, I thought it was awardsmall.com. <laughs> but I think in looking at it a couple more times, it's awards mall, not award small. So either way, the URL will work. <laughs> but that would be the, um, the place to go. And the thing with trophies, call first. Uh, there's a comment here, the Special Olympics may take them um yeah they may i have struggled to find places to take old trophies now something that i do with my trophies uh because i have thrown out quite a number of trophies over the years is i pull off the plaque and put that into a scrapbook so i have the plaque i have a picture the trophy goes bye-bye um if there's no place to recycle trophies please do not give this stuff to somewhere that you're don't wish cycle it right or wish donate it because they're just going to toss it into the garbage. So if you can't recycle your trophies with a local trophy store and you call your Goodwill and you call your other donation centers near you and they all will not recycle your trophies, trophies are not recyclable. They are trash. So just in a nice way, let them go with love and gratitude, maybe pull off the plaque, put them into the garbage don't wish cycle please <laughs> wish cycling which is when we put something into a recycling bin and we just wish we hope that somebody's gonna be able to recycle it wish cycling contributes to so much more carbon emissions because it's extra it's running the machinery extra to take out all the stuff that can't actually be recycled and then it's re-shipping it so you, it goes from your house on a truck to a recycling center where the recycling center is running machinery to separate everything and then that has to be trashed. So it goes onto another truck to go to the garbage dump. There is so much more carbon emission issues with wish cycling. <laughs> just put it into the trash. If it is garbage, just put it into the garbage. That's all that you need to do. Don't think twice about it. Don't feel bad about it. You're not a bad person for throwing stuff into the garbage. That is where everything ends up ultimately.
Um, I took all of my husband's softball trophies, deconstructed them and made it into one small trophy. And we love it. That's a great idea. I love that. That is a very creative solution. Thank you for sharing that, um, Facebook user. Okay, and we are up to our last question. Hold on. I am fighting a tornado. I get things picked up and my hubby boxes up more and leaves it around the house. What do I do? So I think the question is I clear space and then my husband boxes things up and fills up that space with boxed items. So my question is, if you're watching this, is the stuff that's boxed up keep or toss or donate? I think when you clear space, you need to ruthlessly, ruthlessly protect that space, which probably looks like communication. And I know communication is complicated. I know we can say things over and over and over again, and it doesn't seem to land. So I want to encourage you to communicate in all different types of ways. Compliment sandwich, which is where you say something nice, toss in your little request, say something nice. It's a really effective method of communication. Thank you so much for all that you do for our family. I'm working so hard to keep this space clear. Can you support me with this? I really appreciate all your efforts to box stuff up, right? Compliment sandwich, easy breezy. Put it in writing, write down what you want to say. A lot of times when we write it down, we can have a much stronger and clearer message because we have time to think and reflect about what we're writing. Um, ask if your spouse would be interested in talking to you with a therapist. Sometimes having somebody else there to support the conversation can be really helpful, but ruthlessly protect that space. If the stuff that is being boxed up is donations and the problem is getting it to a donation center, enlist help. Get a donation center to come and pick up at your house. Ask a college student to drive your stuff to the donation center. Ask a family member to drive your stuff to the donation center. If it is trash and you're having a hard time getting it to the trash, again, enlist help. Find somebody who can help you. Figure out who your allies are. Even if you have to pay somebody to move stuff. At the end of the world, at the end of the day, it's no big deal to pay 20 bucks or even a hundred bucks to have the sanity that the clear space, the sanity, the cleanliness, the ease of maintenance that clear space gives you. It is worth everything you can do to ruthlessly protect your clear spaces. All right, that wraps up this episode of Ask a Clutter Boss. I always love the wide variety of questions that we get every week. If you have a question for me to answer live, please make sure it gets to our support team, support at prioritizeyoursanity.com. And remember, you are a clutter boss and it is time to prioritize your sanity. Until next time, I'm Jess. Have a great day.